1: Welcome to Catholic Spirituality on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Father Hermann Fliess, and in this episode I am joined by our guest, Father Nicolas Desposito, Professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Thank you Father for joining us. Hello, glad to be here. We just finished uh, in our last episode the first section of the book which deals with um, the doctrinal principles. Today we start the second section, that on Christian Perfection, and today we will start with the um, nature of Christian Perfection. Far be- before, before we start, um, I think it is uh, good to um, bring back to mind what is uh, the idea of Perfection in general. Uh, the author uh, traces the etymology of the word to Latin, obviously, and uh, he stresses that um, perfect means something which is uh, completed or finished, according to its etymology. So he gives the example that uh, a blind man is imperfect in his nature because he lacks something that is due to his nature, whereas a man that lacks wings is obviously not imperfect, because that doesn't belong to its uh, nature or what is due to his nature. And uh, far that is pretty uh, simple to, and easy to see, but what about the nature of Christian perfection? What can we say about that?
0: Uh, yes, uh, we use the, the term perfection in an analogous manner. Uh, especially this is important because our perfection is of the supernatural order as we have, already seen before, we have been elevated to basically the order of God, a supernatural order. Nevertheless, we still have the power of doing naturally good works, but those works which are going to count in the order of salvation have to be supernatural. So when we speak about Christian perfection, we are speaking about a supernatural perfection, an elevation of man, and the perfection of man as he is elevated to a different, a higher order. So, the in order to see what Christian perfection is, and to understand that, we have to keep in mind that elevation um, of man, that... uh, God gave to to him from the very beginning. Again, uh, remember that man never existed in a pure natural state, but he was created already in the supernatural order. When he lost grace by original sin, um, he was in need of a reparation in order to be able to merit heaven again, because fallen nature means that he had been elevated to the supernatural order, but because of sin, he lost the ability, the possibility to arrive at this end, the supernatural end, which is heaven. Uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas says that, uh, and the perfection uh, is the same thing as Beatitude, so for man. So happiness, and we mean here the perfect happiness that only can be uh, arrived at uh, in the beatific vision, in the vision of God face to face, that's the same thing as perfection for man. So perfection for man is not a natural thing, even though you can have certain natural perfection and um uh, Nevertheless, because we have been elevated, our perfection is and must be supernatural. So uh, there are several conclusions that the book gives, but we cannot go through them in detail, Uh, but we are going to try to do our best.
1: Yes, and um, obviously the author uh, starts with um, the... um, basic principle, or the, the basic point, which is um, stated uh, thus, Christian perfection consists es- especially in the perfection of charity. What can you say about that, Father?
0: Yes, absolutely, the, the perfection of this virtue, which we call charity, which is a supernatural love of God, and of, of course of our neighbor, for the love of God too, for, this, for God's sake, and, uh, but notice that here it says it consists especially in the perfection of charity. And the, uh, we must understand that not only we need charity, but we also need the perfection of the other virtues. That's absolutely true. But the main virtue, the most important virtue is charity, is the love of God. And something that uh, we are using the analogy here and uh, with regard to perfection and with regard to the virtues because I will give you another example why um in the natural order it is possible to perfect one virtue, for example justice, but at the same time not perfect or be um, really lack other virtues like uh, for example, someone may be very um I don't know, had a a lot of piety with regard to his uh, parents, that is, the the love and respect and veneration for for the the family, for the parents. But he can be, uh, at the same time, unjust with regard to other people. Just one example. In the supernatural order, that is not possible. That is, if you uh, have the perfection of one virtue, all of the other virtues must also be... uh, There and must be must exist uh, in a perfect manner. For example, you cannot have the perfection of charity and at the same time be uh, unchaste. Just to give you an example, or unjust, or imprudent, or things like that. If you have the perfection of charity, the perfection of the love of God, that means that all of the other virtues are also perfected. That's why it says especially the, the perfection of the Christian life uh, consists in the perfection of charity. Because charity is the main the main virtue that also elevates all of the others. Um, so uh, it is important that, that, that to understand that you cannot have any of the other uh, infused virtues. We are Speaking about supernatural virtues, therefore, they are infused by God. You cannot have them unless you have sanctifying grace, faith, hope, and especially charity. So, the perfection that we are dealing uh, with here is the perfection of the love of God. There are many um, proofs of sacred scripture and of the teaching of the church, and even a theological argument here in the book. And we just give you s- some of the quotes. For example, Sacred Scripture, um, you have, but above all these things, St. Paul says, have charity, which is the bond of perfection. There's one quote also that St. Paul to the Romans, love, which again is the same thing as charity, is the fulfillment of the law another quote, so there abide faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. So, uh, we may have the the faith, St. Paul says, but that's not enough. As Luther, Luther would want us to believe that faith is enough. No, according to St. Paul, we need works, which means we need charity. From the magisterium of the church, there are uh, many instances too. I will just quote something that from the from this book, John the twenty two, the twenty second, um, says: "Since the perfection of the Christian life consists principally and essentially in charity, which is called the bond of perfection by the apostle, and which unites or joins man in some way to his end," That's Pope John the twenty second. And um, again, it's very clear that charity is the main virtue and the virtue that uh, makes man to be perfect, to be united with God. Uh, faith is the beginning of salvation; is the beginning of justification, as the Council of Trent says. But you need charity; you need charity in order that faith be basically uh, of use and. Uh, Um, that it it reaches the the very end of faith, which is God himself. The theological argument says, I will read the book, the proof given by St. Thomas is that the perfection of a being consists in the attainment of its ultimate end, beyond which there is nothing more to be desired. But it is charity which unites us with God, the ultimate end of man. Therefore, Christian perfection consists, especially, in charity. So um, I don't think anyone will doubt oh, uh, the uh, the conclusion and the the uh, what we are saying here. So that's the first conclusion that charity uh, that Christian perfection consists especially and principally in charity.
1: Um, the second conclusion. Um, seems to be um, a little uh, more difficult to understand, at least for the average uh, listener, um, but it uh, goes uh, thus Christian perfection consists integrally in the elicited act of charity and in the acts of the other infused virtues imperated by charity which are of precept so um, this uh, thesis needs some explanation because it's a little yes. obscure
0: I mean the, the words are used here are a little complicated, but only means this that when it says elicited acts, means an act that comes from the virtue itself. So, an act of charity that is an act that proceeds from charity directly, from uh, basically from love. When it says imperative, that is that charity will command certain other acts or certain other virtues. So, uh, again reading the conclusion that Christian perfection consists integrally in the elicited act of charity. So the very the the act of love that proceeds itself from, from our will and in the acts of other the other infused virtues imperated by charity. So charity will move will command that's the word we are looking for command other acts of infused virtues, which are of precept, that is, that we are obliged by a precept of God, by a commandment to perform. So, again, if we have the love of God and we exercise the necessary virtues, the virtues we are commanded to exercise, moved by charity, we are going to attain, if we do those two things, attain the perfection of the Christian life. Um, so that's basically the second conclusion. And I would say the concrete practical application is that the charity is not just a mere uh, affection but must be also effective that must move all of our all our life and all our the, the excess of all of the other virtues and must elevate everything that we do to the supernatural order, and even things that may be indifferent or belong to the our temporal duties must be done for the love of God in order that they they get the um, the supernatural value, not necessarily we have to be conscious and offer up like explicitly everything we do and and think about it It, it is enough if we are in the state of grace and we have charity um, that will be actually enough for all of the other virtues to, to be informed and
1: commanded by, by the virtue of charity. And going to the uh, third conclusion. Uh, Christian perfection increases in the measure that charity produces its own elicited act more intensively and imperates the acts of the other virtues in a manner that is more intense, actual and universal. Could you comment on that?
0: Yes, the, this is also important because the, for example, the, the typical example that the theologians give about this intensity and uh, and of of the virtue, the only way you can heat water, just to give you an example, is to apply more fire, more intensity of fire to the water. If you apply just the same intensity of fire, let's say a certain degree of 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 intensity of fire to the water. And you are looking for uh, to make the, the the water boil. If you do not intensify the the fire to the point of giving enough heat so that the water may boil, uh, even if you continue with a less lesser degree of of heat for 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 a long time, it will never get the water to boil. But you have to make the fire more intense. That is. To augment in intensity that fire in order to reach the boil state. That's the example they give in order for us to understand that we must increase charity in intensity every day. So every all the, I would say even during the day, by more intense acts. If we keep the same level, let's say, of charity, uh, of intensity of love, we are not going to grow in the perfection of. of the Christian life. So we need, just to give you another example, they give a Holy Communion. If you receive Holy Communion frequently, the fervor of the Holy Communion of today, that you you go, for example, today to Mass, and you receive Holy Communion, must be more intense than the fervor of yesterday's Holy Communion in order to uh, be able to... Make real progress in the spiritual life. So that's, that's the, the, what it says here, the intensity, the measure of charity, uh, basically depends on that, in, the intensity of the, the act itself of charity, the elicited act, and also of how it imperates or commands the acts of the other virtues. If there is no more intensity in each act, there will be no growth. So that's, that's the third, uh, the third
1: conclusion. I'm going to the fourth. Uh, it reads uh, thus the perfection of the Christian life is identified with the perfection of the double act of charity, primarily in relation to God and secondarily in relation to one's neighbor what would you say on that point Uh,
0: yes, I mean the, the important thing here is that you cannot love God truly if you despise your neighbor or if you um, you have uh, a problem with loving your neighbor. So the the way to show that we love God is by loving our neighbor, and uh, we shouldn't separate those two things. That is, it's one love for God and for our neighbor. It's one one act of uh, of love that is manifested in these two two, two manners. And again, if we think of ourselves to to have love of God, but we have a grudge or we despise our neighbor, we do not forgive our neighbor um, and we do not love our enemies, Uh, we cannot claim to have this love of God. Those two two loves, the one for God and for our neighbor, go together. They are related and, of course, the love of our neighbor is subordinated to the love of God, first comes God, but The the important thing here is that um, the Saint John says in in the uh, I believe either was the Gospel or one of his of his epistle that the you if you do not love your neighbor whom you see how can you claim to love God who you do not see? So that's uh, I would say that that's the, the important thing of this conclusion.
1: Good, and then um, the fifth one uh, says Christian perfection consists in the perfection of affective and effective charity primarily in the affective charity and secondarily in the effective charity Father, first of all, could you explain us what does he mean by affective and effective charity?
0: Yes, uh, I would say the just... I will read the quote of St. Francis de Sales, given in the book, which is so very clear. Uh, The saint says, there are two principal exercises of our love of God. One, affective, and the other, effective or active. And this is from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. By the first, we are attached to God and to everything that pleases him. So that's the... Affective. We are attached to God and everything that pleases Him. By the second, that is the effective, we serve God and we do whatever He commands. The former unites us to the goodness of God. The latter makes us uh, do the will of God. The one fills us with compl- complacence, benevolence, aspirations, desires, longings, and spiritual ardors, so that our spirit is submerged in God and blended with Him. The other, will be the effective, places in us the firm resolution, the desired intention, and the unswerving obedience by which we fulfill the mandates of His divine will, and by which we suffer, accept, approve, and embrace whatever comes from His divine will. The one makes us take pleasure in God; that's the affective. The other makes us please God; that's the effective. And both of them, by the way, are necessary. Uh, there is something called affective prayer. It's a kind of mental prayer of that comes um, usually. After you have mastered the this, the me- method of meditation uh, of regular meditation, you have you simplify that meditation and you do more effective prayer. Which means again what we just said here that you uh, offer certain acts of affection of God. You tell God that you love Him, and you have all of these aspirations, good desires, longings, etc. But that's not enough. I mean, imagine that you do that kind of prayer, but after you finish your prayer, you go back to your uh, daily routine, and you have um, an occasion to practice a virtue, and you just forget about your affective prayer, and, and you give yourself to impatience, to anger, or to whatever vice... Uh, that, That will mean that you are not loving God effectively. Yes, you have all of those affections during prayer. But after when you actually have to show God that you love him through your actions and through the denial of self and taking up the cross, etc., Um, so you fail to do that so both are necessary yes it is necessary to pray to God to tell him that you love him but also when you are confronted in an occasion of practicing a virtue you are supposed to show and to uh, God that you actually love him that is not all consolation in prayer and and feeling good in prayer but that you actually love God even in the moment of trials
1: good and and it seems to me that that um, would uh, stress the importance of making uh, practical resolutions uh, at the end of uh, meditation, so as to uh, exercise this uh, effective uh, charity. Also, uh, far moving to the sixth uh, conclusion, uh, it reads uh, uh, thus: for it is for its complete expansion and development, as is required by Christian perfection. Charity must be perfected by the gift of wisdom.
0: Yes, and this is very important. We are going to talk about this um, into greater detail because the, this is part of the, the, the goal of this book, is to, to teach us the importance of the gifts of the Holy Ghost uh, in order to reach the perfection of charity in order to reach the mystical state but for now i will say this that charity even though in itself is is a is perfect is a perfect virtue and immediately unites us with god and is one of the theological virtues much higher than the other infused moral virtues nevertheless because it is found in a human subject it is in a way uh, degraded or is made, uh, imperfect because of it is found in a, in a human mode or in a human subject. So it needs charity in us. It needs to be, uh, sorry, perfected by something that does not have anything of human, doesn't have a, a, a mode uh, of operation, which is imperfect or human, and that—that's the gift of wisdom, the gift of the Holy Ghost of wisdom. The actuation of that gift, which is—we may speak humanly—hundred percent supernatural, with no mixture of human in it. Um, it is going. That's the only way we can perfect charity itself. So we need the mystical life. We need contemplation in order to reach the perfection of our love of God. That's the sixth sixth conclusion. And uh, you can see the importance of that, that we shouldn't think that we can arrive at the perfection of the love of God without the mystical order, without mystical contemplation, without the actuation of the gifts.
1: Good, that's a very, very important point. And uh, the seventh conclusion is... Charity can increase indefinitely in a in man as a wayfarer. Consequently, Christian perfection has no definite terminus in this life.
0: Yes. Uh, this is this is really important because the in a way we, we, we cannot take little breaks or vacations in the in the spiritual life. We if we have we are still alive that's the same wayfarer that we are still in this life unable to merit uh, and and increase our love of God we we have to increase with no there is no measure there is no limit the limit is going to be set by God that is the moment of death that's when we stop uh, increasing the our love of God so after that, of course, when the moment of death that coincides with the, the, the level of grace and charity that we have, that will be the level of glory that, uh, that we are going to have for all eternity in heaven. But until that point of in which we died and our soul is separated from our body, we are supposed to increase this uh, virtue of charity and all of the other infused virtues um, without, I mean, indefinitely. So without uh we shouldn't put like a goal. I will, I will be, I will reach to this, and that's it, and I will stop. I mean, that seems silly, but that in sometimes in the practical order, uh, we get into a point of lukewarmness or of tepidity, and when we we get discouraged and we do not advance anymore, we, sh- we shouldn't do that. But uh, as the saints did, every day advance uh, with giant steps until God says to stop, that is, until death, we should increase
1: this virtue. Yes, and that reminds me of um, a saying or a principle of the of the Fathers of the Church, that they say that in the spiritual life, not to advance or to go forward is actually to go backwards. And I think it's um, related with this, uh, this idea of the, the need and the obligation to increase in charity uh, as long as we are living. Moving to the eighth conclusion, Christian perfection consists essentially in the precepts and secondarily or instrumentally in the councils. What would you say on this point, Father?
0: Uh, Yes, in the precepts, meaning the fulfillment of the commandments, Uh, that's that's what Christian perfection consists and, and as our Lord says, the love of God uh, and of our neighbor, is the fulfillment of the commandments. But here's a secondarily, or instrumentally in the councils, uh, those are the... When we speak about the councils, uh, they're better known by, by the vows, the vows that religious religious make, make um, of poverty, of chastity and obedience. Those things are not obligatory in the sense that we are not obliged to make vows. So, the, the We are obliged to have charity and to the perfection of charity and to fulfill the precepts we are not obliged to make the vows nevertheless and this is again something to point out for lay people that are not of course there are uh, many of them um, are listening now married in the married state uh, or even the single state but they they don 't want to become religious and make the vows they are not uh, they are, they have freedom with regard, with regard to the vows, but not freedom with regard to the spirit of the. I would say the of the fulfilling the spirit of the vows. That is, even though we are not bound or obliged to make the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, we must have the spirit of poverty. We have to be chaste, and we have to practice obedience to to lawful authority. So um, that's the. It says here the both the effective practice or material practice of the evangelical councils that religious do. Those are not universally obligatory. So the effective, not all are obliged to make the vows. But it says here the distinction between effective and again affective practice or spirit of the councils, which obliges. Everyone. Again, the affective uh, practice or the spirit of the councils obliges everyone. And um, that this is absolutely independent of the state of life you choose. You I will read the book here. No one is obliged to take a vow of poverty, obedience, or chastity, but all are obliged to practice those three virtues in a manner that is compatible with each one state in life. And it says before he that the, the councils are instrumentally and that's the whole point of our our religious people tend to think that the vows are like obstacles, that they're like crosses that one takes and to mortify oneself. Actually they remove obstacles. They are they make things easier in the spiritual life. So if you make a vow of poverty, and you're not, you, you have less concerns about temporal things. If you do the vow of chastity, religious have uh, an easier time loving God. They don't have to love at the same time a, a human partner, um, like a wife or a husband. And with the vow of obedience, there's a huge removal or the, the removal of a huge obstacle, which is pride. By the vow of obedience they offered this oblation of themselves and um, and therefore they remove big obstacles in the spiritual life and those become their, basically the instruments of their own sanctification. So don't think of the vows as something negative. They're actually very positive and, and they remove uh, difficulties in the spiritual life. That's why we have so many religious and so many people that have... Um, just decided to go to convents, monasteries. In during the history of the church, they understood this, that that to make things easier in the spiritual life. And the other thing is that again, if you are not, you don't think this is the religious life is is for you. Remember that you are you are still obliged to keep the um, the spirit of the vows and practice those virtues in as much as you can in your state of life. So there's something called the the conjugal. Uh, ch- uh, chastity that uh, of course is not the same as the chastity of a monk or of a priest, but it has certain rules and of fidelity etc and and, and th- certain things that that will that will be um, necessary to practice the virtue of chastity even in the
1: married state and uh, yes, it seems clear that as far as the spirit of poverty uh, we live now in uh in a culture or a world which is uh, very much infected with uh, materialism. So, one can see clearly how that will be uh, a help, or as you said, a, a removal of the obstacles, uh, in as much as it makes it uh, easier to um, move along in the spiritual life without uh, getting uh, attached or entangled with material things or the affection uh, for them. Uh, further, with that, we arrive to the last uh, conclusion. Um, would you like to add uh, anything well I think that's
0: uh, I think that that's all and again very important to to understand and to keep in mind especially that our perfection is a supernatural one it's not a natural perfection it's a supernatural one it depends on the degree of intensity of charity charity itself must be must reach its um, its end With the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, keeping in mind that we have, we all have uh, an obligation to become mystics. So that seems uh, like a shock, but we all have that, the obligation to become mystics. Because again, charity itself, of which Christian perfection depends, cannot um, be perfected, the virtue of charity, without the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of wisdom. And also that the, as we said, keeping in mind that not not only priests and religious are supposed to practice heroic virtue, but all everyone is called to the perfection of charity and to the mystical state and to the uh, practice of the uh, the spirit of the of even of the vows. Uh, sorry, of the counsels. So the not to make the vows, but to,
1: to fulfill the spirit of the vows. Very well, Farah, I think this is a good point to stop our show of today. And we have covered the nature of Christian perfection. And um, for next time, we will see the obligation of uh, perfection. And um, I uh, thank you, Father, for your time and for joining us today. Thank you very much. And thank, Thank you also to our listeners, and I invite you to join us next time. God bless you.
2: Catholic Spirituality is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions for Father Dispositò or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at Spirituality at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions and comments to Father Dispositò. We would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For The Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you.